Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 92. Asmodia consults with Paxti and the others about their alter Cheliac's reactions to being fired, often interrupting Sivar with further questions about how alter Cheliac's needs to look to appeal to Keltham, but still taking slightly less Carissa Sivar time than if Carissa Sivar had needed to be present for the whole thing. Neither Asmodia nor Sivar are actually getting any downtime tonight, realistically speaking, but Cheliac's expects that of its upper management even more than do fast-paced Dathilani startups. What are they doing about Asmodea reporting to Savar on solving Keltham's problems 1, 7, and having comprehended the game between Dathilani? Asmodea wants a report on her awesomeness moving quickly to the Grand High Priestess so she can get a headband again soon. If possible, Savar should at least appear to make her own run on the law. It'd be Alter Cheliac's weird for her not to do that given what Asmodia has seen of Savar anyways. How far Savar gets with her plus-four headband will be a good proxy for how far Asmodia could have gotten on Fox's cunnings. Asmodia should not show up tomorrow being visibly no longer entirely not a Dathilani. That did not happen in Alter Cheliacs. Then, Asmodia proposes, once Savar has taken her own run, Asmodia can show Savar how much more progress Asmodia made with plus 4 INT, plus 6 WIS, and plus 4 CHA. And Savar can report to the Grand High Priestess that Asmodia actually needs more than just plus 4 wisdom in a headband, even if they have to send somebody to hell temporarily, or turn them into a statue temporarily, so that Asmodia can have their headband. It's super important to Project Lawful. The fate of Cheliacs and maybe Hell itself depends on it. Whoever has the third most powerful headband in Cheliacs after the Most High probably isn't doing anything that important. Carissa doesn't actually feel like she needs downtime. She does feel like she's playing to her weaknesses rather than her strengths. The thing she's good at is understanding Keltham, and going off even very good gut intuition for that isn't going to stand up against him, so they need the whole tapestry and she can't be the whole tapestry. Project management is not a strength. Also, apparently, after two days of project management, you start to pick up on its attitude of, ugh, wizards, which she doesn't endorse at all, because Asmodia is completely justified in wanting to be smarter. In a sense, it's the only want that's justified at all. I'll give the problems a try, but even if I am persuaded that you on a headband is a massive asset to the project, I'm not going to make that request, and if I did, it'd be denied. Wizards make that request whether it's actually necessary or not, see? And you have absolutely no idea what whoever has the third most powerful headband in Cheliacs is doing, but it might be winning the war with Nidal, and your loyalties are questionable. Asmodia doesn't regret asking. You want to keep pushing until you get a no. Maybe she can figure out who in other countries would probably have a very powerful headband and could most easily be killed by a half-death Ilani. Also, Asmodia's loyalties are not questionable. The Grand High Priestess personally declared that Asmodia was not loyal to Lord Asmodius. This settles the issue. 
To question the judgment of the Grand High Priestess is heresy. Ha ha ha. Peranza's current thought processes would make fascinating reading from a Dathilani perspective. Once the Dathilani stops screaming, which would take a while. She now works on an important secret project where her thoughts are being read a lot compared to Ostenso Wizard Academy. In principle, that's not a huge difference because even when your mind read less frequently, they can just ask you if you've had any bad thoughts since your last review. Still, Peranza is very aware that somebody could be reading all her thoughts literally right now, and probably is. One might consider that there is an obvious way to look at things where Savar just told her that everyone's Asmodeanism is based on lies, and Keltham is going to tell them the truth, and then they'll all be executed as heretics for believing him, and go to hell and be hurt very badly. Not eventually, this week. Peranza is not looking there. It's not that she's safe if she doesn't look there. It's not that she's better off if she doesn't look there. She's just not looking there. This is not a thinkable thought. It cannot be processed. It is detected by several early-firing, bad-thought, detector, pattern-recognizing heuristics, well-trained by previous punishment, and shut down before it gets into her stream of consciousness and becomes a problem for her next Detect Thoughts review. What Sever said is causing a lot of early bad-thought detectors to fire simultaneously. Perenza, then, consists of whatever is left. It's proceeding in fits and starts and not uncommonly runs into all cognitive avenues being blocked simultaneously. Whereupon Perenza's incipient wordless awareness that she's no longer convincing herself that she's trying to follow orders becomes stronger and stronger and more demanding, until finally, in desperation, she thinks something anyways. A more experienced member of the inner ring would not have put an outer into this position unless they wanted to cast detect thoughts and watch the outer's verbal thoughts tie up in increasingly tight knots and circles of not having any available pathways for safe thinking, and then, presumably, have some fun punishing them for doing their assigned task poorly. Peranza is supposed to list out, not her own heresies for Sevar to correct, obviously. Peranza wouldn't be willingly thinking any heretical thoughts, Obviously, she's supposed to look at other members of Project Lawful and determine places where incipient heresies might be, such as can be listed without damning herself. Only she's also supposed to list out places where Peranza thinks she might be confused, and it's supposedly okay to admit you're confused. Only Sever called those lies, which means everything has to be screened for how bad it would be if whoever got this report jumped on Peranza and asked if her listing that thing meant she thought it was a lie. Not that Peranza is allowed to think any of that out loud, either. The first item written on Peranza's report is that Ioni Sala seems to think it's okay to worship Nethys, which really seems very confused, and definitely like the sort of thing where she might get even more confused listening to Keltham. After this is not written, that Savar herself is also an enormous glowing heretic. But those thoughts are safe to think. You don't have to be a heretic yourself to notice that Savar is a heretic. So Peranza's calculations about how it would be stupid to list this item in a report that Savar reads, and Peranza's thoughts about Savar's particular heresies, are all allowed to be in the forefront of her mind and actually thought to herself. Her mind spends quite some time there where it's safe before she is forced to move on by the increasing volume of the incipient, wordless shriek of how she will no longer be able to pass a detect thoughts inspection 
on whether she successfully pretended to herself that she was trying to follow Savar's orders. She has to put down something, even if it makes her punishable. She can't put down nothing. Obviously, you'd make the punishment for that be worse. Even in Taldor, you must still get tortured severely if you deliberately disobey orders. Peranza writes down that somebody else might get confused about why Asmodeus permits so many opposing gods to continue to exist and oppose him when they're so much less mighty than him. It's obviously going to get her somebody staring at her and asking if she believes Asmodeus is weak, and that the part about him being mightier than other gods is a lie, and all she'll be able to do is say that she was trying to follow Sevar's orders and guess what other people might get confused about? And obviously, Peranza has never thought for a moment that anything the church said is false. She is just trying to follow Sevar's orders and guess what other people might think. Peranza writes down that somebody else might get confused about why people in other countries, especially wizards who can teleport, don't all flock to Cheliax given its clearly greater benefits. This is safer. If Peranza is asked if she believes Cheliax isn't really a better place to be, She'll be able to say no, obviously the people in other countries are weak and afraid of pain. This is just something somebody else might be confused about. Now she has three things, and the first thing about known heretic, Ione Sala, is visibly not really trying. But Peranza doesn't dare cross it out, or recopy, because that is the sort of thing security will report, and it is a bad look. She needs more things to write down. She can't turn in this report to Savar with only those things written on it. Why do things have to be like this? Why does she have to hurt like this? Peranza is confused about that. For a very brief moment, then, Peranza's mind remembers the silent image of Keltham's city of towering metal blocks, a teenaged boy's private apartment mansion inside it. But an early bad thought recognizer fires before she can think anything fatal in words. To be clear, this is not Peranza's worst day in the last month. It's not a good day, even in Cheliax, but not the worst day of the month in Cheliax either. Nobody's breaking her bones or whipping strips of skin off her back right now. By the time two hours are up, Peranza has twenty items, and when she looks back and reviews them all at once, she realizes in the back of her mind that she's going to die a heretic's death, if not right now, then after following Sevar's next set of orders. But it's too late now, and trying to burn the paper just means security stops her after they see the intention, and then things get worse. Not that Peranza thinks any of that in words, either. She just picks up her completed report and gives it to security to deliver to Sevar, with horrible nausea running through her that is no doubt the result of having spent so much time thinking about sickening possible heresies. The trouble with not thinking in words. The trouble with running entirely off-pattern. Recognition to decide which next step is safe, without being able to calmly reflect on where the whole sequence of steps goes, is that sometimes you end up cornering yourself. A better course of action, given her beliefs, would have been to fail at her task. And be tortured however much. You get tortured when you tell them that you couldn't find it in yourself to obey orders because they were too heretical, and you didn't want to become a heretic yourself, which is no doubt very painful but not anywhere near as bad as going to hell. This, however, would have required deliberate planning. The mind without words doesn't learn heuristics that steer you into that much immediate pain and visible failure on your next step. Carissa brings the paper over to her a couple of minutes later. These are good questions, she says, 
I think some people think of them and then avoid asking them because they're worried on some level that the questions don't have good answers. Or at least that if they asked, then people might think they think the questions don't have good answers. Peranza nods in obedient terror. She's not going to be punished by Sevar right now for not having done a good enough job on her assigned task. But she knows without words that this was a mistake, and very much not the fate she should actually have been avoiding. Do you know why I asked you to do this? Because I'd outlived my usefulness. Because you believe Keltham might turn some of us into heretics, and you'd like to minimize how many. Say Keltham asks you, she glances at the paper, why all the Chellish wizards are born in Cheliax, when wizards from all over the world should want to live here. What would you say to him? This is a much easier question to answer. That wasn't in the official background material, so if I had to answer right away and couldn't wait on an advisory from yourself or Asmodia, I would tell him that I don't know, but my guess is that the wizards on site all look native-born probably because that helps with passing the security screening. I've seen non-Chellish wizards in Cheliax ever but did mostly keep to Ostenso Wizard Academy while I was there. And I wasn't in a big town before then. Good. Say you accidentally at some point thought the question to yourself, what would your answer be? They're weak and afraid of pain. It would be better for our souls to leave it at that, wouldn't it? But I think we unfortunately can't. All of these questions have real, good, satisfactory answers, obviously. Devils aren't constantly afraid of heresy. Devils don't carefully avoid thinking about specific things. And we are going to have to become like devils in this regard because it's too late for us to be like, gesture, other people. Which of these questions would you be most relieved to know the real true answer to an answer you can think about as much as you like because it's actually just satisfactory, and thinking about it more brings you closer to understanding the will and greatness of Asmodeus? If she just picks one at random, is she safe? Is it better to learn from her mistake and be punished for disobedience rather than die for heresy? No, she just needs to glance at things until she finds any item with a plausible excuse. Why do we have to be hurt so? Wasn't one of her questions, and she mustn't process the real meaning of Savar's question. Anyways, she has to produce an answer. I don't know how to answer that. If I haven't already been told the real true answers, then I'm not deemed ready for them. I don't know how to guess which answer I'd be ready for and would help me. You haven't been told the real, true answers because it's been a very busy week and this is the first time we've had a couple hours away from Keltham. You're ready at minimum for the answer to every question that you're scared of thinking about because we can't have you scared of thinking. Why is she lying? Who would believe that? No, belief is mandatory. Believe it somehow. Peranza nods obediently. Shall we just go down the entire list since you can't name one? If Savar has true, reassuring answers for everything on the list, Peranza will be genuinely impressed. For an instant, there's a flare of hope. Maybe Savar's price in Dis means something. Yes, Peranza says. Ione Sala thinks it's okay to worship Nethys. There is something of a realignment happening among the gods right now. It's hard to see from a mortal angle, but gods are doing Asmodeus favors who would not have been expected to do Asmodeus favors. Caden Kylean gifted Pilar with the ability to track down every spy for Eomedi and Igorian, 
as long as she threw a party for them before kicking them out of the country instead of executing them. That's what she was doing in Agorian. Broom's God. This is secret from Keltham, but permitted to know in the project. Teleported every diamond anywhere in Niddle to Broom, at the same time as Asmodeus sent Mylol a vision saying we should set up near Ostenso where there's some kind of divine interdiction. Nethys warned us of the Zonkuthon attack. It's hard for mortals to know for certain what the gods are doing. But there's a thing that would have been something a heretic might have said a week ago, which was, if Asmodeus is destined to win, why don't the other gods act like they know that? Why do they oppose Asmodeus? They don't have the excuse of being mortal and stupid and scared of pain. They should submit, if they see how it's destined to end, or, I guess, try to let Rovagug out if they're too opposed to submit. But in that, we have the start of our answer. Asmodeus doesn't want them to let Rovagug out, and so he has left hidden from them the ultimate result. He sees. When good gods tell their priests that Asmodeus will not win in the end, they're telling the truth as far as they know. Or that's what was true a week ago. I think that Asmodeus is now beginning to show his hand. We are valued in Dis. Not for the work we'll do in this world, but for the work we'll do in hell, where the gods do know that Asmodeus reigns totally supreme and that there is nothing to do to oppose him. With more law, it will be possible to create better devils. That might seem like an advantage, a substantial one even, but not a decisive one, not one that turns Caden Kylian against Iomadae and has Nethys serving Asmodeus in the absence of prophecy. Do you see why it's a bigger advantage than that? Peranza doesn't gape, since such reactions are suppressed by default in Cheliax. Is all that even slightly true? But maybe it is true. Project Lawful being what it is, the answer is maybe yes. It's not like they haven't seen Pilar with the cake. Peranza was there when Ioni called her warning, and they were told about the Caden Kalian thing before any of these issues about heresy came up. I'm not sure I understood the question, sir. Is the question, why being able to create better devils is a decisive enough advantage to make Caden, Kalian, and Nethys believe in Lord Asmodeus's inevitable victory? It would just be, because with better devils, hell gets stronger and wins, right? The flash of horror that goes through her at the thought is buried very, very deep. If you just make a devil a little better than any anyone has ever made, then that devil will be able to get even better at making devils and make one a little better than that. And get better at the process, not just the result. Think how much mortal running around in blind panic would be prevented if being shaped into some kinds of devil didn't hurt. So we could just tell everyone who's scared that they can be that kind instead. Riley. It'll probably still hurt the way this conversation is hurting you. But I believe maybe mortals, if it was just that, could muster their courage and go gladly to it. With better devils, you could have a summoned Keltham in every classroom, teaching all the children law, which devils right now don't understand in such a way that they'd be able to do it. And all we have to do is make a devil, which is just a little bit better at making devils, which is, in a sense, a kind of teaching, a kind of shaping, the precise thing this project is doing. Ione Salah shouldn't worship Nethys, and you shouldn't start, but it's not threatening the way it was a week ago. 
any more than it's threatening that I venerate Dispater, because Dispater works for Asmodeus and Nethys does too. Not fully, yet, but it's not surprising at all that Nethys, who sees farther, was the first to see it. And Ione believes Nethys to have charged her with helping the project succeed, and with making it visible to Keltham that the project has the backing of many gods. He'd be suspicious if it were just Asmodeans. He told me yesterday that he was tremendously relieved Caden Kalian was backing us, since the fact good gods, too, support this project gives him confidence in it. What a gift, which Asmodeus could not buy if he weren't going to win. Why did Caden take Pilar and not anyone else to Elysium if he is good and wants to save people from hell? Anyone else might have been tempted to stay in Elysium. It's all right, you can think it. Many people would be tempted to stay in Elysium, and that would have been a cruel thing to tempt them with, when Elysium will fall soon anyway. Pilar was the one who was done no cruelty by showing her. They asked her at the end if she wanted to stay, and she said no, and they said we knew that would be your answer. She is meant to bring that little that Elysium has to teach us with her to hell. And someday it'll be fine to worship Caden Kalian, too, as it's fine to worship Mephistopheles. There's a flash of contempt. There's a flash of contempt openly in Peranza's thoughts. It's safe to think that Sevar is a fool because the security reading her thoughts will be thinking that too. If you look at the way Cheliax is set up, that hell is set up, you'd have to be a fool to think they'd ever make devils in a way that didn't hurt. The people of Cheliax are not that lied to. They are openly told that Asmodeus's domain is tyranny, and that the cruelty they endure is pleasing to him. You couldn't pray to him if you were that mistaken about who he is. Why believe hell would go along with making devils less painfully, Peranza says. It does not take heresy. It is not an executable offense. If you suggest that hell likes hurting you in the course of your correction. The corrected deserve for the correction to hurt, and the weak deserve to suffer. This is the doctrine of hell. Peranza has had to whip her classmates and practice torture spells on children with no other uses to make sure she experiences it from both sides, just like any other wizard. Even if they could make devils painlessly, they wouldn't. Because I think it might interfere with making them think. I observe you all to be terrible at thinking, except Pilar, who doesn't mind it. I would love to teach you how not to mind it, but I don't have that figured out yet. I'm not Abrogyle, who did know how to hurt me in a way that made me better and stronger and worthier, and I can't promise people, look, we'll hurt you in a way that makes you better and stronger and worthier, because they've never had Abrogal and on some level don't believe that that's even real. So if all goes well, I'll have my own collection of souls in training in hell, and I'll figure out something better than paving stones to do with the ones who fall apart when they get hurt. Yes, they're contemptible. Yes, they deserve to suffer. Yes, it'd be better if I could figure out how to both deliver what they deserve to them and make them into something useful. But everyone's trying at the first thing, and no one's trying at the second. Do you want to know what hell conveyed of Asmodeus's will for me? Yes, Peranza says. She can answer that question quickly, what with the alternate answer of no being very, very obviously the wrong one. 
It's good that she was asked that question so she didn't have to figure out how to respond to everything that came before it. Carissa carefully pulls out the sheet of paper on which it was reconstructed from Elias's memories and passes it across the table to Peranza. Peranza reads, and is not particularly enlightened. Perhaps she isn't actually meant to be enlightened, only shown how small and stupid she is before Asmodeus's wisdom. Are we meant to understand why our Lord directed you so? She says. Not in full, I don't think. But I thought all the strange and doubtless mistaken things that I think, and he chose me, and he called Keltham my teacher, that we're meant to understand. Ordinarily, it would be very stupid and pathetic to imagine that hell is in an error we have the power to correct. I think now it is ambiguous, whether it is stupid and pathetic or not. If we succeed, Peranza, if we build civilization on Golarion, then this ambition of mine to fix those souls hell turns into paving stones is small next to that, and I will be permitted it. If we fail, then we'll all be worse off than if we'd never tried this, because we got halfway to truth and ended up in a big muddle of heresy. Half of that prediction is certainly credible. Probably fine to think this. Security is no doubt thinking the same. What would Ioni say about all this if Peranza asked her? What would Pilar say about all this if Peranza asked her? Pilar is obviously strong in her faith. To wonder what she'd think of something is a permitted thought. A daring thought comes to her, more daring than has come to Peranza in a while, a thought that might get her punished, and yet it wouldn't be execution for heresy. And that punishment would show Sevar's hand and relieve a lot of frantic anxiety about how real the promise of reduced punishment actually is. I think, the sort of question you're talking about, that somebody might be afraid to ask, would for me the most important question would be, why can't a devil tell us this, that hell would go along with your plan, and swear to that in Asmodeus's name, and then we would know it was no heresy? And that the hope was real. Actually, you can just think that. Security's also skeptical of the truth here. And that Savar's promises were remotely credible. Very reasonable. So I'm going to mark this as not satisfactorily answered until we have a devil to tell everyone the bounds of what I can get away with. The problem is that junior devils aren't going to know for sure, and I can't actually casually command the time of senior ones, but I'll figure it out. Is it possibly over? Nope. That was the first question. Now, second question. Peranza obviously isn't going to run out of the room screaming. That impulse gets trained out of you before you can actually form long-term memories. Would the pharaoh of Osirian trade his crown to her if she could kidnap Keltham and deliver him to Osirian? Asmodia, are you plotting how to get your hands on an overpowered headband instead of listening to me? Yes. I was thinking about whether I could seduce my way into the pharaoh of Osirian's harem. I now, on the one hand, regret ever mentioning to you that the pharaoh's crown was a thing, and, on the other hand, regret much less that I didn't try on that headband myself. Maybe, if we consulted with more senior wizards, there'd be a way to extract some of that conviction from me and directly infuse it into Keltham. You are going full Nethys again. Also, I predict Myalyal vetoes it. Well, since you refuse to check any of those predictions... Given that he just got raised, Myal should be asleep right now. His ring of sustenance won't kick in much before ours do. 
So I'm batching them up, and before I check with him, I will write down my predictions with probabilities for each question, like a good girl, which Keltham will later tell us is a training exercise for Dathilani. I predict with 99% probability. Asmodia did try to adjust her confidences downward after Keltham warned her that 99.99% was too much. Keltham told us that we should do that if we were using divine advice to check about, what was it? Which corn breeding plans would be disastrous? You don't get to count that as a prediction. I don't think Keltham said to use probabilities then, so I get to count that. Look, we're drifting off topic again, probably because of something to do with the ratio of time we've spent awake to asleep over the last day. Did you say anything important while my attention drifted off? I think I delivered a prophecy, but now I don't remember it either, Takaral. Interesting. I can actually tell you said to Carl on purpose. I wasn't trying very hard to fake it. Look, I'm not feeling happy about this Gregoria suicide plan. I bet Savar also won't be happy about this Gregoria suicide plan. I bet Mayal is unhappy in a way that involves fire. We'll be fine. They wouldn't use fire in Taldor. They would if somebody showed them this plan. You invented this idea and three quarters of what's in here. That doesn't mean I can't look back think about how far I've come, and realize exactly where I have arrived. Also, all the problems are in the remaining one quarter, obviously. I think the logic is probably a lot clearer if you have grasped the key fragment of the law of probability, which, once you possess it, reshapes all of your thoughts, and not just those thoughts which involve numbers. Asmodia, listen to me. If this were a temple of Nethys, and I were in charge— this would be the point at which the experienced Fourth Circle Cleric of Nethys tells the First Circle Cleric of Nethys that she is clearly on an exciting journey of the mind full of new ideas, and she's going to be locked in a nice, safe cell with no weapons or spellbook until she finishes Takaral. How fortunate for Project Lawful that I am in charge and not you. Also, you've never in your life been to a temple of Nethys. Stop making things up. I flipped through all the Taldor romance novels looking for any mention of the word Nethys, and there were two pages about a temple of Nethys in one section. And that's the point where the high-ranking Asmodian sets the low-ranking Asmodian on fire. Yes, yes, you're not Asmodian, fine. Look, I'll try to put the law I'm using into words. You may well be able to follow if you pay attention. What we're trying to avoid doing is letting Keltham narrow down a single conspiracy world that he can figure out. We want to do things that make internal sense in the ordinary world, even if they might seem sort of weird and complicated there, but which would be more complicated and hard to square up internally in the conspiracy world. Yes, there's ultimately a world where that all makes sense, because we're living in it, but we want to make that world hard for his mind to narrow in on. And when we use weird, complicated logic that's inconsistent with the logic we've previously used, that helps us so long as it's less weird inside the ordinary world. The fact that we told him about cunning and headbands isn't good, but it also means that we were stupid then. And now, if we do something very complicated and smart and clever about it, even if Keltham thinks of that possibility, it won't match up with our previous stupidity in telling him about cunning at all. And you don't think Keltham has read a dozen books back in Dothilan where somebody tries something exactly like this on the protagonist, 
What with him coming from a world of actual Dathilani, where none of the thinking you're using is the least bit special. You don't get it. Yes, Keltham can think that we just planned the whole thing. But if Keltham imagines a masterful intellect, like the one she has now, the part where we previously told him about cunning and had to execute the whole clever plot in the first place won't make sense. The villains in Dathelani books will be smarter and more competent than we previously were in the actual conspiracy world. And if he figures out that we really were learning as we went along? That's the loss condition we inevitably reach eventually, where Keltham has enough information to figure out the exact world he's living in. But we can make that harder for him. He won't jump to that conclusion right away. It's like putting extra coin spins on top of duck for lunch. Merchant ships coming in from Absalom instead of merchant ships from anywhere. A more complicated idea is one that he has to assign lower probability to start. And Keltham isn't a perfect Dathilani. It may be possible to confuse him enough and win. If I have a sufficiently powerful headband, and he doesn't use any enhancements himself, I mean. Right now, Keltham has seen evidence that if the conspiracy is real, it's not actually that competent, because we weren't. The first time we do something smart, before any other time he's expecting us to be smart, we've got to get as much mileage as we can, out of that, because afterwards he'll be on the lookout for smart things. And besides getting him not to use enhancements, you yourself said that the most confusing thing we could do to him. I regret all of the choices that led me here. No, you were right. Writer than you realized. Right now, all Keltham's attention is on the idea that the conspiracy world is trying to make him believe he's inside the ordinary world. On the simple truth. Exactly where we don't want it. At the very least, we want to make it be complicated for him. So we make it look like he has ordinary adversaries trying to falsely convince him the conspiracy is real. And then he has to doubt all the evidence, and not just the evidence we'd rather he didn't doubt. And if the conspiracy faking the ordinary world faking a conspiracy is exactly what they do in Dathilani romance novels, then those villains would never have told him about Fox's cunning. And this is the point where they set somebody on fire, even in Taldor. Let me guess. You think Myljol says that we want to keep the ordinary world simple and believable, and just not make Keltham think about things too much? Sever says that. Myjol says, Abarco, hurt her. Well, the ship of apparently simple and believable stories has sailed. What with Caden Kalian handing out cookies. And even if it hadn't, Keltham is a Doth Ilani. He's going to think about things no matter what. All we have is a choice of what he spends his conspiracy decoding time trying to decode. Okay, look, what are you actually thinking at this point, specifically? Maybe it'll sound more convincing to me if you sketch it out the way Keltham would see it. Keltham wakes up tomorrow, is allowed a chance to pray first. We don't want to let him pick out spells after he knows what he'll be doing with them, and probably do some other things, eat breakfast. We can't time it precisely to after he prays. Suddenly there's an emergency. No, they're not supposed to say what. He gets rushed straight to Mayol's office. Mayol says that he realizes exactly how stupid this is going to sound. The fact that your plan requires this step should be a hint, Asmodia. I'll be sure to give you full credit for all of your ideas. Anyways, Malyal tells Keltham that he suspects they have an enemy upstream in Igorian. 
one who got their hands on, at the very least, yesterday's transcripts. Because the day after Keltham talked about his conspiracy analysis and told security that if there was a criminal investigation, he wanted to be in charge, even knowing that was tempting the tropes. There's now a dead body in Gregoria's bedroom, which looks like a suicide, but that's not hard to fake, and there wasn't any obvious reason for her to do that. Last known interaction was that Gregoria finished preparing spells and then requested a simultaneous fox's cunning and owl's wisdom early that morning to see if she could solve any of Keltham's homework problems that way after resting the previous night. She died sometime between then and a quarter hour later, when Sevar tried to send a message to her about her availability for a morning meeting with Keltham. Keltham predicts that truth spells aren't going to turn up any murderer for some weird reason. Mayol says yeah, and he bets when they hear back about Gregoria getting raised or contacted in hell. She has no idea who killed her, and he wants Keltham to be really fucking cautious about interpreting anything he sees here. Somebody may be trying to fake the appearance of what Keltham seemed to expect. Or Keltham goes, nope, not buying it and heads outside the Forbiddance to try to get in contact with Asyrion. If he had that short of a probability temper, he'd have walked out after the Caden Kalian candy thing. You would have walked out after the Caden Kalian candy thing because you're a Galarian native who knows how weird that actually is. Keltham will walk out after Mayoral tries your line on him, because that will be the point where Keltham recognizes that he's inside the classic hilarious maneuver that dumb Dothalani kids think up the day after they find out about the law of probability. You're underestimating me. And you're underestimating me with that headband even more. If Keltham is a bit above average for a Dath Ilani, I should have been noticeably above average for a Dath Ilani while wearing it. Which your total lack of experience more than makes up for. I'm thinking using law now. It's fucking math, Ioni. I don't need experience to tell me how the world works. What I'm doing works in all of them. So if Keltham actually says nope and walks out... Math itself crumbles with him and the universe ends. This is not making me feel any more reassured about your plan. Fine, you don't get it. Shut up about not getting it. I think we can rely on Keltham to worry on his own that it was maybe actually just a simple regular suicide, as searching through the whole installation fails to turn up any clues or even anything that was meant to fool him. Then we find out that Gregoria is supposedly refusing resurrection and can't be scried or contacted in hell, which freaks Malyal out, and Malyal says he just has no explanation for that unless Gregoria's body was faked and this is a kidnapping. Then, unexpectedly, two days later, Gregoria is able to be raised and back with no memories of what happened, and hell has been successfully contacted but says they're not answering any questions about anything. Keltham not only gets wary around Fox's cunning, which was not what the conspiracy was trying to make him believe as the whole point, obviously, because in that case we'd have just never told him in the first place. He also concludes that it wasn't a faked-up story to keep him busy, because it ended up being the case that there was no apparent mystery for him to solve and no exciting clues to follow up. But the idea's been planted in his mind that maybe he missed something, and maybe somebody is trying to make him believe in a conspiracy. Whatever happened to the girl who incorrectly shot me down on grounds of being overly clever, back when I showed Keltham that the whole class wasn't too terrified to ask him any questions about his fascinating conspiracy example? 
We need some way to suspend time inside this fortress for one month and send you off to learn how to do all this in real life and fail a few times somewhere it's less important than here. Failing that, I am telling you now, in my capacity, as Nethys's chosen one, that this is a setup that is inevitably going to explode. Prophecy is broken, for everyone except me, I mean. And now Nethys alone can predict events in enough detail to be like, ah, yes, I will do this exact thing, and then Keltham will think this exact thing and react in this exact way. The only way I'd buy this plan is if a god signed off on it. Hey, apparently I am supposed to give you cookies because that will serve Lord Asmodeus. Make any comments on this and I will punch you. Fucking gods, Pilar. No. No, 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 this isn't happening. I'd ask what has upset you so, but I really, really don't fucking care. Asmodia, here's your cookie. According to my curse, it's a consolation cookie to cheer you up about not getting to carry out your brilliant plan that wouldn't have worked. Thank you, Caden Kalian. Ioni, here's your cookie. It's a congratulatory cookie for your good foresight in having already made and carried out, a few days earlier, one of the key choices that enables solving your current problem in a much simpler way. Wait, what? Can you be any more? Don't tell me. Talk to the fucking cookie. I'm not the curse. Also, my curse says it can't do this reliably, so don't rely on it. I need to get back to sleep. Try not to come up with any more stupid fucking plans requiring preventative cookies. Bye. All right, Carissa says to Peranza when they've gone down the list. Last thing, I swear that everything I've said to you in this conversation has been true, as far as I know. I don't have satisfactory answers to everything yet, but I mean to find them and bring them to you, all of you, so that Asmodeans can be Dath Ilani. And if you think of something else I don't have a satisfactory answer to, you bring it to me so I can try to find one. If you wake up one day and realize that you aren't loyal anymore, you won't die for it, assuming you don't actually undermine the project. We'll just keep looking until we can answer whatever pulled you away. And if you undermine the project, you will die terribly for it, whether you're a heretic or not. So, all understood? Understood, Peranza says from a place of inner numbness that is mostly not processing any of the many, many words it has heard. Peranza has now been thoroughly retrained to find any ideas about questioning Asmodean orthodoxy, or any thoughts about the relationship between that and death Elanism, to be scary and painful and possibly leading to death and hell. Future thoughts anywhere remotely close to matching this pattern will be immediately shut down by early bad thought detectors. This will probably be pretty effective at preventing problems for a while. Carissa has a bunch of halfway theological questions for Mayal and Subirox, but she needs to go see what idiocy the smart girls have talked themselves into first. Had any bright ideas? I developed a cunning plan to make it look like somebody in the ordinary world was trying to trick Keltham into believing in the conspiracy and tropes, so he wouldn't only be questioning evidence that points in a direction favorable to us. The Caden Kalian snack service, which suddenly showed up, claimed that my plan is unworkable, and that Ione already did some key thing a few days ago needed to make a better plan work. Now Ione is trying to list out every choice she's made about Keltham and see if she can figure out what the fuck Pilar's curse was talking about. I'd recommend not distracting her while she's working. 
Pilar's curse also says it can't do this reliably, and don't rely on it. I don't suppose you're ready to hear my report on Law of Probability, which, also, the Grand High Priestess did like the way I performed in the last 15 minutes, too. So if you're willing to deliver an accurately glowing report, there's a chance I'll be able to get a good enough headband before this project collapses. Asmodia looks kind of wired, like somebody who's been on for more hours and off for fewer than might be really wise. I am ready to hear your report on the law of probability, and you are one of those people who reacts to their first combat situation with glee and overconfidence. Correct for it. Proceed. Overconfidence? Is that even possible for Adath Ilani? We should maybe step away from Ioni, and, before I start, how many of the seven did you derive math for, besides hash two? I mean, since that's basically already there. If you've already got formulas, I can skip derivations on those and talk about meanings and implications. I got the first five. Message to Sever as she's leaving the room. Please don't reply. I'm concentrating. But if I was a fourth circle cleric of Nethys and Asmodia was first circle, I'm pretty sure I'd be locking her away from any things that explode and forcing her to read books. They've now stepped into the next breakout room over from Ioni. So, hash one is, I assume you got this part, stop me if you didn't, about the way that the implication probabilities for all the different observations or things that can happen, or different pieces of evidence you could get, all have to sum to one, or no more than one, if we're not assuming the list exhausts every possibility, which in real life it obviously never can. Meanings and implications. A world or a theory or a way things can be has a limited resource like money, like it has one gold piece total divided into a hundred coppers, which it has to spend on all the possibilities that it wants to claim credit for having predicted. I can't let you spin the coin and then say, Queen has 100% probability. Text also has 100% probability. That adds up to 200%. That's why they try to train Doth Ilani out of assigning more probability afterwards than they would beforehand. It's why that's contrary to the nature of probability's law. If you assign more probability to a happening, after hearing that it happened, then when you add up all the probabilities you'd assign to all the happenings afterwards, you'll get way over 100%. Only if you do it in advance are you guaranteed to have it add up to 100%. Galerion doesn't understand that law. Galerion doesn't know that law which means that everybody who's got a belief in their minds is looking at whatever happens and trying to convince themselves, sure, that thing there, that is just what ought to happen in the world I think I'm living in, that should happen with 100% probability. They'd say that for anything just the same. So if you try to turn that back into coherent math, it says that every outcome has the same probability. And if there's five outcomes, maybe each of them gets 20%. After you're done telling somebody, it can't be 100% for each. But 20% for each of the same five outcomes is the same as if you just said, I don't know, for each of them, instead of, in every case, there being a clever way to twist things around to make it sound like that thing is totally what should have happened. The poetry Keltham quoted us for hash one. I suspect if he said it in his own language, it would rhyme, or there's a version of it that does. It had that feel to it, and I think I've got it memorized by now. 
Your strength in the way is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality. If you're equally good at explaining any outcome you can see, that's the same as not knowing anything. It's not about how good you are at explaining away whatever happens. The only thing that focuses, concentrates, the limited supply of what you can predict, into some predictions and not others, is that your explanations will sound more plausible for some things and less plausible for others. If there aren't some things you can't explain, that's the same as not being able to predict anything will happen, because you can't predict anything won't happen. Explaining and predicting are the same thing to a Dathilani, the degree to which a belief says, I'm great at explaining that, you should credit me for being totally compatible with that thing you saw, is to the Dathilani, just the same number as the probability that got put on there, and probability is conserved, so you can't be equally good at explaining everything. To predict reality, you have to be the sort of person who, if you were told a fiction instead, would go, wait what, I can't explain that thing. How surprising. Instead of coming up with a clever explanation of that thing, you were told that wasn't real. I only thought that only hash six and hash seven were going to be deadly to Asmodeanism. She's wrong. All seven are going to cause problems if the others in class really understand them. Everything that people see, they're trying to explain how their version of Asmodeanism predicts that thing, so Asmodeanism can claim credit for having predicted it. But if they'd seen something very different, they'd predict that too. Keltham's world trains keepers out of that all the way, and it trains people like Keltham four-fifths out of the way of doing that. And when you've started practicing with numbers and maths for some things, it affects all the rest of your thinking, the way you think in words. I remember seeing it when I wore the headband. It was so vivid then, and it's faded now, but I remember what I saw. The way that, the beliefs inside me, were trying to warp and distort themselves and pretend to shove more probability into the things that they knew had already happened, that they'd never have predicted, or never have predicted that strongly. And the more that people are lying to themselves, the more that distortion is going to be holding all the lies in place while they try to suck the credit of being right out of whatever happened by explaining it. And Dath Illinism trains that out of people. Keltham's going to make people play some game. And when they're done playing the game, they'll do that less, and then everything that was held in place before becomes shakier. If you had a headband like the one I borrowed, you'd be able to visualize the right law as math at the same time you watched your own mind trying to do it wrong. There's no obvious sign that Asmodia is ever going to stop talking about problem hash one in particular. At the world wound, they solve mania with lashes, but she's not actually sure how they do it in Taldor. Message to security for Milol if he's awake. This is a standard problem with a standard solution, right? What is the standard solution? Problem two? Reply from security. Malyal's asleep long since. But while I don't exactly understand your policy against torture, by this point slapping her hard enough to knock her over isn't torture. It's medicine. She wasn't finished, but fine. Okay, but before we go on to problem hash two, you didn't get that far, right? You didn't get all of that without the more powerful headband I need. You can see I'm talking like Keltham and completing the law of probability. And maybe I'm not really a Dathilani, but I'm also not really not a Dathilani anymore. Carissa hits her. 
Not hard enough to knock her down only because she's a wizard and doesn't do a lot of hitting people with her actual hands and isn't that strong. Asmodia. You are not a Dothilani. You are in an altered state. This was conveyed to you by me ten minutes ago. But you did not listen because you are being impervious to information, which is not very Dothilani at all. I'm very close to locking you up until you sober up but I'm curious if all this law you've learned will let you react appropriately to this information all on your own. Being hit is like a cold rush of water, interrupting the cycle of whatever part of her had won and won, and been terrified by Rugaton and then won again, and stayed to try to win more, and devised more and more complicated plans with Ioni arguing but not actually authorized to hurt her. At some point, she'd started thinking she was immune to everything and not just to hell. I... suspect I need to try not to do anything for 30 minutes. Maybe reading will work. I don't know. And if that doesn't work, somebody needs to set my hand on fire for 30 seconds. And if that doesn't work, somebody needs to hit me with a sleep spell for an hour. I apologize. I can show you the equation for hash six and sketch the theory for hash seven, but should not try to explain any implications. Carissa feels enormously relieved. Not just that Asmodia is recovered, but that hurting people works. Not that she didn't believe that. Sure, write it out for me and then go read a history of Taldor or something, one of the dry ones. Asmodia writes down the equation that a far distant place might call conservation of expected evidence, and then, which takes longer, a brief sketch of the idea of filtered evidence, and that, P, they tell you about the fourth coin spin. The fourth coin spin came up queen. Being a necessary item of evidence to take into account and not just, P, the fourth coin spin came up queen. In order to not violate Keltham's hash six. There are important implications, and I still think you should hear about those before composing a final version of your report to the Most High but not having a headband for another day won't kill me, so long as I don't start thinking I can kill the pharaoh of Osirion to steal his crown again. She should not kidnap Keltham to trade him for the crown, even if she could. That is not what her sponsor probably wants. If you pull this off, we'll all be rich beyond our wildest imagining, and I'll see you given a headband fancier than any yet conceived on Galarian. We have to win first, though. Go take a rest. Asmodia goes. She hopes it is possible for her now to function without a headband, as opposed to her previous wearing of an overpowered headband having left ideas embedded in her mind that only a more powerful mind is competent enough to contain without going mad. Is that why there are keepers? She needs to not think about that. Thirty minutes. Boring history of Taldor. Maybe it was just being happy that did it. She's... Well, in retrospect, she's never actually been happy before. Not really. Maybe her mind just didn't know how to handle that inside. Asmodia hopes one of these days she can be really happy, somewhere that isn't Cheliacs, and just fly away like that, safely, and return to the ground when she tires herself out to sleep. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.